Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. I think we're back to more normal fare today. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. Uh, A couple of them dealing with our ever-growing energy crunch. Uh, When I went to work yesterday... It was four nineteen a gallon. When I got home yesterday, it was four twenty nine a gallon. So uh, the decision to ban Russian imports uh, was not lost on uh, the markets. Uh, the price of oil went up uh, several dollars a barrel yesterday. Today, it's down at least at the moment uh, a few dollars. So uh, maybe things will stabilize at least a little bit. But nonetheless, uh, the current situation not sustainable. And the good news is we've got at least a couple of Senate Democrats who see this. And one of the reasons they see this is because their home states are big when it comes to the energy industry. Joe Manchin, no surprise, from West Virginia, and John Tester from Montana. And Manu Raju of CNN caught up with both of them. I don't know if part of the conversation with Manchin involved whether he's changed his mind on Build Back Better. I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if it did. But no, his uh, big question was, uh, what do you think about uh, the best energy policy going forward? Uh, and as you'll hear here in this montage, uh, John Tester saying, let's keep it domestic. And uh, Joe Manchin with several good points about why we need to do it here and not rely on bad actors around the world to boost our supply. We shouldn't be advancing other uh, countries that don't share our values. Uh, so um, I, I think that uh, the opportunity here is to do it, do it domestically, create jobs here. Uh, you know, deal with it domestically and also see if we can help Europe out too. Go, go back to the policies that we've had before. And that's, we have to do our leasing in the Gulf to make some, okay? BLM lands has been off, off target. All this has to go back in, into production. That's all we're asking for. And if we're asking the rest of the world to step up, let's show that we're going to step up. And any oil that's needed to our allies around the world, we produce it cleaner than anybody. So Jim, once again, we're grateful that if the Democrats uh, have a 50-50 quasi-majority because of the tiebreaker with the vice president, that Joe Manchin is one of them. He's talking more sense than a lot of people up on Capitol Hill yet again. And hopefully, hopefully this administration listens to him, although there aren't a lot of signs heading in that direction. Greg, I find this is one of those rare times where I feel like the the right side of the aisle is going to win. Um, it's a bit like the damasking in schools. Time is on the side of those who want a, a all-over-the-above approach to energy. I think eventually the Biden administration is going to have to surrender on this one. And it's it's good to see Manchin coming out and doing this. It's good to see Tester coming out and doing this. Yesterday, you know, the average was $4.17 coast to coast. Looking over at the AAA gas prices, the average gas price today is $4.25. It's gone up $0.07 cents in a day. So not quite as bad as what you were seeing at that particular gas station. But everybody across the country is seeing significant rises and fast rises. This is untenable for the Democratic Party heading into the midterms. And oh, by the way, you know, summer traditionally is when people go on their long driving vacations. They drive, the weather's nice, people drive around more. You're going to see demand go up month by month. And the other thing which is kind of intriguing here is that usually it's a, you know, if it's a refinery that's shut down, they can get that thing fixed pretty quickly or something like that. If we really are going to sustain not purchasing Russian oil or natural gas until this conflict is over and Russia changes its ways, this particular lack of sourcing is, is not, not going to change anytime soon. So this is circumstances where um, the forecast really for the rest of the year and God knows what's beyond doesn't look good. So I think between 
uh, now in November, enough Democrats are going to go to Biden and say, this is just killing us. We had all kinds of other problems, inflation, food prices, stuff like that. So I think Biden will eventually deeply disappoint the Greens on this one. But I don't know, Greg, it may very well take a while. It may. And I suspect their first trick is going to be the suspension of the gas tax, like we talked about a few weeks ago in their pivot to moderation after trying to go with the progressive agenda for pretty much all of 2021. Uh, and as you said, if you think it's too high, just lower it. The, the suspension uh, situation looks like a political gimmick, which, of course, it uh, would be. If tomorrow they took down 18 cents a gallon, that's federal gas tax. Right. Do people feel great? I don't think so. They'd prefer it to what they are right now, but I don't think that's going. Oh, okay, gas tax prices are reasonable again, right? That you know, nationwide, that would take you down to about uh, four dollars and seven cents a gallon. That's not cheap. That's not good. That's still really super duper expensive, even even compared to a few months ago. So, I really don't think that's going to be a big game changer. Uh, but you're right. I think that's the first step they will do. And oh, by the way, then you have this giant hole in the transportation budget that you have to make up for. Jim, did you happen to see the uh, deputy national security advisor this morning uh, talking about how even if we drilled everywhere we could, as much as we could, it wouldn't affect the price of oil? I don't know how many economics classes this guy took or why he's the deputy national security advisor. That's a position Ben Rhodes once held, and he was obviously thoroughly unqualified for that. He was a communications guy. But Anyone can tell you markets are focused on what's predictable, what they can rely on in the future. So to say uh, that uh, future supply isn't going to affect today's prices uh, doesn't really re uh, reflect reality. Yeah, that's where I want to say, is it the position of the Biden administration that the law of supply and demand does not affect the price of oil? <laughs> if so, why just that issue? Why, why, why would that fundamental law of economics and, you know, that we see it in everything from, you know, baseball cards to Pokemon cards to jewelry to real estate, you know, every you know, car, fancy cars, you know, if something's rare, there's a limited supply, the price goes up because lots of people want it. Only a few people can get it. If something is very common or you can find it everywhere, price gets very cheap because you can find it everywhere. It's not a big deal. That is the dynamic at work in everything except gasoline, apparently, in the minds of this administration. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, he actually said that that won't make a difference. It's all about supply and demand. So tell Wait, me you don't <laughs> tell me tell me you don't understand economics without telling me you don't understand sure. economics is kind of the takeaway there. I also saw completely unrelated that Paul Krugman says that China's not going to be able to keep uh, Russia economically uh, upright. Which uh, my instinct after reading that is, oh, so apparently they can just because Paul Krugman's track record is not good. <laughs> He's probably a little smarter economically than uh, the deputy national security advisor. But uh, nonetheless, let's do what we can domestically than, rather than relying on all these terrible actors, Venezuela, dusting off them as relevant uh, after, you know, shunning them with sanctions and so forth over the years. And of course, Iran, absolutely insane. And we'll talk more about uh, who's providing uh, the oil in just a moment in our bad martini. But Jim, first, when it comes to thinning hair, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and things that actually work. Why not both? There is a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions, and it's called Nutrafol. Did you know that there are five root causes of thinning hair? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be impacting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 
21 potent natural ingredients support better sleep and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in the hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. And Nutrafol is trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. Wow, they found five root causes of thinning hair. It's good to know somebody can actually find root causes and uh, figure out what's happening. <laughs> Unlike our vice president with immigration, you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the three martini lunch by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, but it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus free shipping. You'll get that on every order, but get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and the promo code Martini. All right, Jim, the United States needs energy. We've got plenty of it right underneath us. We could tap that. We could have current producers just produce more. We could uh, grant more permits on federal land, which Biden scaled back, of course, as soon as he got into office. Um and lots of other options domestically, fracking, uh, clean coal, all sorts of things. Won't do that. Instead, he's going to beg people, people we like, people we don't like, people in the middle. Uh, right now, he's getting the cold shoulder from the Saudis and the UAE, Wall Street Journal. The White House unsuccessfully tried to arrange calls between President Biden and the de facto leaders of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates as the U.S. was working to build international support for Ukraine and contain a surge in oil prices. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and the UAE's Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nayan both declined U.S. requests to speak to Mr. Biden in recent weeks, as Saudi and Emirati officials have become more vocal in recent weeks in their criticism of American policy in the Gulf. I wonder why. Quote, there was some expectation of a phone call, but it didn't happen, said a U.S. official of the planned discussion between the Saudi Prince Mohammed and Mr. Biden. It was part of a turning on the spigot of um, Saudi oil is what they want, obviously. They want other countries to increase the supply. But as the U.S. gives away even more of the store than they did the first time on the Iranian nuclear deal, obviously the Saudis and the Emiratis not too happy with that, Jim. Just a little over a year ago, we had these historic peace accords involving Israel, UAE. Saudis weren't part of it, but they certainly uh, gave their blessing to it behind the scenes, it would appear. And now, given the Biden administration uh, cozying up to the Iranians again, these people want nothing to do with it. Greg, this is a very deliberate snub. As much as you and I may disagree with the president of the United States, we'd rather I'd rather the president of the United States be respected on the world stage than to be seen as somebody who you can basically mess around with and not have any serious consequences with. When the president of the United States calls, you should pick up the phone. Um, now, there's a little bit of good news here right before we started taping. Uh, CNN reported that the United Arab Emirates ambassador to Washington, Yusuf Al-Oteba, said that they are in favor of an oil production increase and will be encouraging OPEC to consider higher output. So one way or another, the, the message of what America wanted to see got across. And so that one, maybe this was a... Um, you know, you never know when a world leader is busy or something like that. But having said that, you know, this does really feel like a sense of a, a metaphorical middle finger, a sense of you no longer matter here. And it's really jarring to see that from these two countries. I, I know Mohammed bin Salman, obviously, ever since the dismemberment of uh, Khashoggi and the uh, Saudi consulate over in Istanbul, U.S.-Saudi relations have been rather tense. Biden pledged he was going to turn Saudi Arabia into a pariah state. Then right around January 20th, 2021, it got a lot more complicated for Biden. Oh, my God, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And so he kind of backed away from it. But Mohammed bin Salman did not 
forget this. There's an argument. Mohammed bin Salman is one of the figures who's been limiting OPEC production, basically because he wants to screw over the United States, that he is PO'd at Biden. He wants to take it out on him. This is another clear signal, and I do think it is probably not good for us and not good for the Saudis for this kind of um, hostility between uh, our two governments. So we'll see how things shake out here, but it really is kind of um, Biden's being insulted, and I just hope everybody around him understands he's being insulted and will adjust their behavior accordingly. Maybe the next time the Saudis need something from us, like, say, being rescued from Saddam Hussein, they won't. Uh, we won't be quite so motivated to come help them. I think both things are true. I think that uh, given the relationship we've had over the years, they should take the phone call to President of the United States. At the same time, the United States, uh, at least in the last administration, spent a lot of time building an alliance basically against Iran. I mean, part of it was to uh, make life easier for Israel in the region and just to restore ties and realize all these countries can benefit from having normal relations. But a big part of it was uh, building a coalition against the Iranians and... Unfortunately, that's headed in the opposite direction again. All right, Jim, I think we all need to kick back a little bit. A lot of stress on that particular story. But uh, if you're going to kick back, you'll want the fantastic products from MyPillow. And now you can get them, of course, at a fantastic deal. And who doesn't love a great deal? And they've got a lot of them, more than 20 of them at MyPillow.com slash martini. That's where you need to go to access every deal, including MyPillows as low as $19.98, slippers at 50% off, the MyPillow towels at $39.99 and 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99. The MyPillow towel sets include two bath towels, two hand towels, and a two-pack washcloth. Those towels are highly absorbent without that lotion-y feel. These towels come in multiple styles and sizes, and they are machine washable, and they come with a 10-year warranty. I love the towels. I was using a different set until a few days ago. Got the MyPillow towel back in there. Still my favorite towel. Love it, love it, love it. You will find all these offers and more at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Right now, every order using the promo code martini will receive Mike Lindell's new book, What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO for free? MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Get direct access to all the deals at MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we keep talking about the midterm elections. They're getting closer and closer. They are now less than eight months away. Uh, despite aggressive Democratic gerrymandering, I think Republicans are still favored to take back the House. And given the current set of economic circumstances, I think that uh, the odds are increasing by the day. There's also the Senate situation, though. Republicans need a net pickup of one to get back the majority, but they also have to defend a lot of seats because of retirements and just competitive states. One of the ones they have to defend that's open is in Ohio. Rob Portman is retiring after a couple of terms, and there is a fierce Republican primary happening right now. Right now, businessman Mike Gibbons and former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel lead a pretty crowded pack. Gibbons is at 22 percent, Josh Mandel at 20 percent. Uh, after that, uh, author J.D. Vance, Hillbilly Elegy, 11%, former Ohio GOP chair Jane Timken at 9%, and Ohio State Senator Matt Dolan at 7 And uh, Jim, the fascinating thing here is all the attention in this race, at least from most of the mainstream media, is on J.D. Vance. Sometimes they like to point out comments that they think make him look insane, and sometimes he gives them a lot of help in that department. Uh, but when it comes to where this race actually is, He's a distant third. So what's with the media approach to this story? No, I was going to say that's what's been baffling. I, I think because of 
perhaps it's as something of a, a dynamic of name ID. But if you, if you follow the Republican circles that I do, you would think this was a race between Josh Mandel, who has basically run for some statewide office in Ohio every two years for the last eight years or so. I can remember when this guy was Tea Party. Remember that? <laughs> that time yeah. again? Anyway, yeah. yes, you know. Um, and then you've got J.D. Vance, who, who has, you know, not only does he have fame, he had this very unusual background, right? This guy, this guy who grew up uh, dirt poor in, in, you know, the Rust Belt, kind of this, um, he goes to Harvard, you know, local boy makes good. And he kind of, Hillbilly Elegy was widely discussed, particularly during the, the after Trump's election, as this portrait of the forgotten middle of the country that turned to Trump to save them, right? There was kind of this interesting role in, they made the movie out of it. I think Ron Howard was the director. And the, what's been, you know, you know, don't have an enormous amount of interaction with J.D. Vance. He spoke at an NR event. He seemed like a, a bright, interesting guy. And he's not running a bright, interesting campaign. It's it's almost, it is, the, he, he and Mandel seem to be in the most, can you top this of populism? And not in a terribly effective way I'm not really taking sides in this primary. I don't have a lot of people to root for. I just do feel like, as, as you observed, it is absolutely fascinating to see if you, you know, if you're not in the state and you're not really watching it closely, you would think that J.D. Vance was the central player, maybe the favorite. And not only is he in third, he's kind of in a distant third. I should note that there was a poll in February by Trafalgar Group that had J.D. Vance in a close third, right? It was a, it was a much closer one. Timken and Dolan were at 10% in that one. Vance was at 14 and Gibbons was at 16. But the last two, the Emerson poll, which had you know, J.D. Vance at 8%, and then this Fox News one that has him at 11, he really is looking at also Rand's status, kind of an indication that making the biggest splash on social media, Twitter, things like that. I know, I know J.D. Vance is on Tucker Carlson's program pretty regularly. You'd think, oh, okay, that's good. A lot of Republicans watch those programs. Apparently not. Apparently that is not what is motivating and stirring Ohio um, uh, Republican primary voters, or it's you know they're they're just they're just not, not in line with their thinking and, and all that stuff. But I do think there's it's possible advance does not make it to a runoff, does not make it to a they be past the primary, and it'll be an interesting argument of whether is populism not nearly as popular as people think it is, or is JD Vance doing populism wrong? And I think there's going to be some really interesting uh, debates on that front moving ahead, Greg. One of the things I think we've learned over the past 10 years, Jim, and really beyond that, is what works for a specific candidate isn't necessarily transferable. A lot of Democrats tried to copy Barack Obama, worked for Obama. He won a Senate seat and he won the presidency twice. Didn't work for the other people. Even him showing up to campaign for them didn't help. Uh, we've seen people try to emulate Trump. Sometimes it worked. A lot of times it didn't. Uh, so just because you try to fashion yourself in the mold of of a candidate that uh, really struck a chord with the people uh, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Uh, sometimes it comes off as uh, not genuine. I don't know, but uh, we'll find out. Uh, if Trump does endorse in this race, I think it could make a big difference. So far, I don't think he has uh, waited in very much on that particular one, but we'll see. I think the primary there is May 3rd. Yeah. And Greg, let me just observe. You do it in the right cycle, you're Barack Obama. You do it in the <laughs> wrong cycle, you're Cory Booker. All right, Jim, on that note, we're going to uh, call it for the day. Yeah. Wish we had a nice witty retort, but uh, we don't. So just hope it's better tomorrow. See you then. The podcast's over, everyone. See you tomorrow. <laughs>
Jim Garrity National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Uh, we're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast, and it will play it. Find us on Twitter and follow us. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.